Thanks for that piece of shit, Lieutenant, that's always uh, on his podcast. Pass us. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody, welcome. New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, John D. McCarry, uh, retired NYPD lieutenant. We got a great show for you today. We have a lifelong New Yorker, retired Army colonel, uh, Tom Sullivan. Tom's running for New York State Assembly, District 23, overseeing the Queens borough, the majority of Queens. We're excited to have him on. We went through his platform, um, and I think you guys are going to love him. Uh, as always, I'm joined by my co-host, the most complained cop in the NYPD, also known as the boogeyman on the streets of the Bronx, Eric S. Dim. Eric, how are you doing, my brother? Outstanding. What a pleasure to have Thomas Sullivan on the show here. I don't know too much about him. I have a basic bio, but what I do know is a fellow service member with a high rank. So I have nothing but the utmost respect for you. So why don't we just get right into it? If you could tell us before we get into your platform, a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, what your childhood was like, and how you ultimately came to politics. If you tell us a little bit about your career and how it led you to politics. Yeah, you, you, you two gentlemen would know because you, you did service to the city, service to the country. Uh, I'm one of seven boys, and my father is a retired uh, New York City detective. My mother a nurse until she started taking care of seven, seven boys. Um, my oldest brother was uh, went to West Point and uh, served eight years in the military. The other two stayed with the family business that's uh, been going for 86 years now in, in Brooklyn on the corner of Notion Avenue and Avenue U. Uh, the next brother was a uh, Port Authority with the, uh, the uh, I'm sorry, an inspector with the Port Authority Police Department. Uh, the one after that did 30 years of active duty service, uh, still working uh, now in the civilian capacity. And uh, the next, the next son there, the, the youngest. Then there was me, number six, affectionately called uh, in the family by my father, number six. Um, you know, I did thirty years in the military. Uh, just retired in, on one June, uh, twenty twenty-three, a few months ago. Uh, I've been in the financial world for just about the same amount of time, twenty-nine years. I owned a restaurant uh, for ten of those years as well. And I now do the insurance, taxes, licenses for the uh, family restaurant, uh, paying some bills, which I was doing a few moments ago. Uh, so I'm tied into the family business as well. Uh, I bring those up, things up because, uh, oh, I forgot to mention number seven. He's, he's a, he works for the fire department in New York City. So this, this family has been dedicated uh, to this country. Um, and to this city for, for generations, uh, going back with my great-grandmother as a matron uh, on the New York City Police Department. So my father uh, and grandparents instilled service to, to country, service to community, and uh, ultimately I, I had always wanted to run for political office for a long time. Uh, obviously, while doing, doing those other things in my life, uh, that was not a possibility early on. Plus, my political, personal political philosophy is uh, when it comes to 
wanting to represent the people in your community. You have to have walked in their shoes in some capacity. Doesn't matter, fireman, policeman, sanitation, lawyer, soldier, financial person, whatever it is, go out and do something before you go out into the community as a career and, and then wind up being a career politician because who better to know what the people need than the people who have, have been out in the community. Uh, so have a little personal heart burn with career politicians, uh, both sides, doesn't matter, Republican, Democrat, uh, because now, now you're in a position and somehow you've determined what you know is best for everybody else, but you never walked in that path. So that's a little bit about the family background. I'm, I'm although retired from the military, I uh, still hold my, my job in the financial sector, uh, still volunteer in the community, community. I'm the commander of my VFW post. Uh, look out for my fellow veterans. Uh, yeah, see that exactly. Uh, you know, with all, many proud moments in my uh, in my military career. But, and I've said this publicly many times, and I'll say it again today. Uh, the proudest moment of them all, when I was could walk into that VFW post and join the ranks of these unbelievable Americans with unbelievable stories. Uh, just uh, so proud of that to be to be among them. And, uh, you know, fast forward 16 years later, you know, give them a ride to, to, the, to a treatment or to the hospital, uh, get them food to the house. We have a food program, a local food program that we do for our, our elderly and, and uh, sickly veterans. So, so I keep involved in the community. So I wanted to, uh, I wanted to take that knowledge and expertise um, and go out and, and, and do good for our community, uh, do good for this state. Uh, and in my humble opinion, uh, we could use a couple of good experienced uh, people to go out there and represent, uh, you know, everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, me and Eric talk about that all the time, even in just the lower capacity of policing. You have to be empathetic. How could you be empathetic towards people you've never walked in their shoes? You don't know how they live. You don't know their culture, their background. Mm -hmm. You know, these are big things. And 100 percent, I'm with you. If, you. if you follow me on social media, everybody knows I go after both sides, Republicans and Democrats. And, and I honestly the career politician thing bothers me the most. You're, you're, you're passing law that affect business, that affect public safety. And these are things you know nothing about coming as a child of privilege and basically being being groomed into this life of of I'm sitting on top of you and you're going to do as I say, not as I do. Yes, um, I appreciate it. And just another point I just want to highlight that I, I, I believe I failed to mention when I when I introduced Tom. Tom's a combat veteran. Tom served in Kuwait, in Iraq, and Afghanistan. And here he is 30 years later, and he's running for state assembly. Tom, could you walk us through what actually, I know you said that you wanted to get into politics, but what specifically is it that you're seeing today that's driving you to say, you know what, I'm in my retirement years, but I got some more fight left in me. What is it specifically that's bringing you to, to the arena? You know, uh... It's amazing. I love this country. I love our form of government. It is without a doubt, with all its faults, still the best 
uh, uh, form of government in, in the world. And I think that's evident. We, we could probably talk about it later, what you see in the southern border, right? Um, it, it bothers me when politicians badmouth uh, the, the country, the state, uh, but somehow the rest of the world just wants to be here every single day. And, and, and that's good to be known for, but we could, we could talk about that in a, in a few minutes. Um, but my, I believe in limited government for many reasons, right? Uh, number one, they can't, they do not have the capacity. They do not have the bandwidth to do it all. We have to be self-reliant citizens. Uh, otherwise, uh, th there'll just be more government employees, more, more taxes, and then you become like the rest of the world. So uh, when I talk about the limitations, uh, you know, it could, it, it's kind of like a toss up, but, but, but critical is education to a certain point um, and public safety. So police, fire, emergency services, sanitation is crucial for the health and well-being of the citizens, right? You're taking care of everybody. People, people overlook that, like, the importance of sanitation without sanitation, you know, comes, comes the plague, right? So uh, these are all critical services um, and, and must, and can only be done by, uh, you know, our government, right? You can't, you can have private police here and there or private security, but in general, you have to have uh, uh, that as a public service. Uh, education, right? Hand in hand, um, without educating the, the public up at, at to, an, and I believe in public high school, um, uh, when it comes to college, I, I support public universities that are subsidized by the taxpayer, but there is no free ride. What we are doing with these, with these brand new 18-year-old men and women, the first thing we're teaching them is that you entered a contract to borrow some money, or to provide a service and in return will assist you with your education, but now you don't wanna pay that back. That is a horrible lesson to learn and a horrible lesson to teach. Um, so I, I draw my limits with, you know, uh, you know, free education up to high school. Uh, pay something, do something to earn that. You know, I get it. The military is not for everybody. I don't believe in a, you know, a, a forced subscription to the military. But I, I chose to get my college paid for. I had to give back eight years. I didn't think I'd do 30. That's for sure. But um, I, I owed a debt to the to the people of this, to my country and the people who paid for that, the taxpayers. And I paid that back. And um, so education. Um uh, public safety, transportation, right? These subways, you know, uh, as expensive as they keep seeing to get and the increases are still relatively cheap for them to move the masses and, and only a public service could do that. Uh, we, we know what the costs are uh, when it comes to that. And, and our infrastructure, right? So when, when there's no more potholes on the road, and the trains are running on time, and my kids are guaranteed safe from A to B, then let, let's start thinking about doing all these other things 
that um, government has somehow taken on the role and responsibility for, right? I don't want to knock any one particular program, but just just to go down and, and rattle some off. Okay, so I'm picking your kids up after school. I'm watching your kids after school, right? I'm talking about government-funded daycares and after school. And um, it, it's I, I do believe when we throw that burden onto the government, they don't do a great job. And it's a very costly pr- uh, proposition. And, and, and then as an ancillary effect, it, it hurts the family unit, right? Uh, my wife and I made a decision. Uh, maybe we're a little more fortunate than others, but folks, you know, I, I worked awfully hard. I just told you, you know, I had the army. I had this restaurant going. I had a job that I had to pay for. Um, you know, my wife worked uh, when it was prudent to work. Uh, but when we expect our local governments and uh, we we tend to let them down and the important pieces like law enforcement uh they lose, right? There's only limited resources. And, uh, you know, we're going to get into the, I would suspect, the defunding of the police department, but some of it was done intentionally and some of it was done because we're out of money. You know, the, the mayor, Eric Adams, here recently is stating, oh, we, we just don't have the money. So when we, we decided to take on this role of everybody is welcome here in New York City, and uh, we'll show you how it's done attitude. Uh, look at what, what you've done to us, right? You just set policy. Those simple words of saying, you know, come to New York, we'll take care of you. Uh, you just set a policy that's been heard around the world. And now we have 158 different countries uh, coming across the border and eventually they want to make their way to New York because uh, they've been told they're going to get taken care of. Those funds come from somewhere. And uh, as the mayor stated just a couple of weeks ago, you know, they're, they're taking away uh, overtime from a lot of the uh, other critical uh, municipal services, law enforcement, emergency services, sanitation, etc. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for your, your life of service. I mean, all the information that you provided clearly states that you were a jack of all trades. I mean, you were in the service. You held a high esteem rank. You were part of a family business that went on for a lengthy period of time. You were in the financial sector. So you understand the private sector and you understand the public se- sector. So which really correlates to what you're saying, that you understand the community that you serve. So you, here you are, you're serving. You're looking to serve District 23, which is a bedroom community. So here we are right now. John and I have been pretty adamant and expressive that the police department is putting out fraudulent information when it comes to crime being down. And these small spikes that they claim that crime is down right now, we've showed actual data in a two-year period. It doesn't reflect that at all, especially even going back for a 13 period, reflecting on what the police department's been showing. So... What, what would be your relationship right now with the community and also the police department to keep your this community safe, especially right now? Crime is rampant. Obviously, with the bail reform, a bedroom community is definitely open to burglaries, 
we're having issues with cars being stolen right now. People are out to work. What would be your advice to these people, especially with limited government? And how do we, how would you push to have a police department that's addressing your neighborhood properly, especially if, if there is going to be the funding, the funding overtime? I mean, John and I are pretty expressive about this. We believe it's just hogwash. Anytime that they say they're going to cut the overtime for the police department, it just backfires. I end up doing double the overtime because especially with the plan right now with the police department, it's about flooding particular locations with presence because we've taken away with, from intrusive police work. So what would be your relationship with the police department to keep this community safe? Well, as I mentioned previously here, and you know, this is one of my biggest frustrations. Um, my grandmother, a matron, my father, a detective, another Port Authority inspector, NYPD, uh, fire department, soldiers, and the police department, uh, you know, lieutenants, sergeants, captains, I, I, no endorsements, okay? So I want to I wanna answer your question, and sometimes it's an overused word, uh, but we are suffering terribly from leadership. And to answer your question, you open this up with is a, an elected official or an appointed official, whether it's a commissioner of the police department or, or an assembly leader representing the people need to be able to tell the hard truth. Bad news, good people, leaders can tell the hard truth to a point where people understand. They just want to know what you're going to do to make it better. And until you stop, you know, and when you do that and you know, so you talked about data, right? 30 years in the financial world, um, you, we can get in a lot of trouble from manipulating data. It's deceptive uh, to, to both your clients, uh, to your, to the firm you work with, uh, right? N numbers can lie but it's the person who decides to manipulate that data. So when you say crime is down and right, okay, uh, maybe we're not reporting the whole truth or, or maybe, maybe I'm uh, taking out certain uh, neighborhoods uh, in the reporting of the data, right? You're manipulating the data. You're cheating the American people. You're lying to them and you're not telling the hard truth. The American people, the, the citizens of New York state, I think they can live with, with hard, the hard truth, as long as you have a plan going forward to make it better and, and they can trust you. Um, again, Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. They are all losing our trust, right? You have, you have one person gets elected to the United States Congress, which one day I would hope to serve in, Right. I'm more than I believe I'm more than qualified with my experience and education. But he lies about what who he was, what he's done, and he gets elected on a lie. And I, I my Republican colleagues, uh, you know, I'm involved with with Republican clubs and Republicans. Shame on us. You know, we worried more about, well, if we lose the seat, then we might lose a vote. Make the hard decision, cut, right? What do they say? Cut bait, fish or cut bait. And they needed to drop that anchor to the bottom of the ocean. Uh, because guess what? When someone else decides to lie, cheat, and steal, 
you're now going to want to demand that they be removed from their seat, right? So you go ahead. It seems petty to pull a fire alarm, but what they did, it's just, it, it, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss, you know? But now, what ground do you stand on to discipline that individual when you won't even discipline your own or vice versa, right? Those are two fairly recent events, right? Um, I do believe that our political system and our leaders in the past have done a better job at holding ourselves accountable, um, holding each other accountable. Uh, I don't see that now. I don't see that now. It, it's about power, right? Don't let even even that person was so deceptive. We can't afford to lose the seat. Yes, we can. It'll come back to you someday. The voters would appreciate it and respect it more um, than just trying to, you know, let it go over or, or figure out the next game plan. Yeah, it's it's it, you know, and we we say that all the time. It's a crisis in leadership, and and it's it really boils down to integrity too. You want people to trust yeah. you. You want people to trust you, but you won't make the hard call. You know, a, a lot of times on this show and on social media, me and Eric get beat up when we call out the nonsense that happens in the police department. It's like, yeah. you know, as my, I, I and I personally think me and him are two biggest supporters of the NYPD. We actually support the cops when no one else does, when they're alive, when they're in hard situations, when yeah. they when they responded to a job that goes politically bad. And, you know, we get shunned for that. Oh, it's you know, we get shunned when we call out bad police work and, and stuff that's going to make us look like idiots. Um, you know, and, and it's never, it's never to try to shame someone or defame someone. It's to, it's to make us better and, and, and to, to bring light to we're human. We're part of this community. We're mm-hmm. not gonna, we're not gonna not call out. We're not going to not call out when we see something wrong. Um, so you're, you're in Queens. Um, so what, what, what do they say? It's never the crime. It's the cover up, right? Exactly. And, when, when you cover it up and you lose the trust of the people, you create opportunities for sometimes sick, twisted individuals to create organizations, right? They, they don't care. They just see an opportunity to, to make money, spread hate. Um, and I think you all know where I, I'm going with this, right? So in the case of the police department, if you lose the public's trust and you just create an opportunity for somebody to, uh, you know, defund the police, whatever organization it is, whatever elected official that ran on those platforms. Um, I, I think that's sick and twisted because uh, we have five people, you know, uh, running here for the city council kind of up north a little bit in the neighborhood. And th- they use words. And, and they have political campaigns that I would have never have thought possible um, in the United States, right? It's one thing to go out there. I mean, there was a day where you would never say you were a socialist. Now they're, now they're proud of it or a communist, right? But that's America. We assume that risk. But, you know, now they're, they're just uh, they're taking seats. They're, they're holding power and uh, authority. And, and that's where our political way of life, uh, you know, starts to, to become in jeopardy. 
So, yeah, I mean, I know, I know how you're talking about the Democratic Socialists of America in New York City, the New York City. It actually just recently blocked me on all social media platforms preemptively before I ever got to say anything. So I'm, I wear that as a badge of honor. I might even hang it up and put it behind me. Yeah, the people who claim uh, <laughs> everybody else is, is um, you know, they want freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of that. But they waited to, to get that power. Just like in any communist or socialist regime, is to silence the masses. Hundred percent. So, Tom, what are you hearing from your constituents? What do they feel is the biggest problem currently in that district? And you know, I, I listen. I'm going to be a realist. State assembly. You, you, you guys are. You, you know, you're you're almost in an uphill battle there. And like, so I want to like, what, what is your plan going in to attack the issue that you're hearing from your constituents? What is it? And what, and what do you plan on doing for it? Well, the, the, the number one issue that, that everybody talks about, um, and, and it's, a, I, I think it's a shame <laughs> that, that it's such a heavy focus and it's, it's the answer to your question, very simple, public safety, right? Um, we we worrying about getting to work. Our families worry worry about us getting back from work. We worry about our kids at school while we're trying to be at work. We, we worry about how they're going to get them up. Some people have decided to pick them up themselves. So public safety, you know, has now uh, become so much at the forefront that edu- nobody talks about education. It's um. And I'd love to talk about that about about a half a second here, but public safety, without a doubt, everybody's talking about it's um, in the age of social media to uh, and, and I'm just focusing on my district. That's happened, you know, uh, within the last two years, let's call it, you know, 16 year old shot dead in broad daylight on the train station and in one end of the district. Three people shot at a, at a, at a playground all under the age of 16 a woman beaten, beaten half to death, losing her eye at a train station uh, in, the, in the center part of the district. Um, I mean, you, you could just rattle them off. You know, every time you think it's bad, it, it seems to get worse. And uh, we, we have to stop this um, before it becomes, you know, people are leaving New York State, right? So, you, you know, when, when people who I know that, that aren't into as much politics as I am, um, or they're not as well read into the, the, the subject matter or may not care as much. I say, if things are so great, why, why are a hundred plus thousand New Yorkers going to leave the state net net? Why are a hundred thousand of them going to leave? And why are most of them going to Florida then to North Carolina then the Tennessee now is the third uh, most uh, uh, the destination uh, sort than South Carolina and Texas. And right, you talk about data. It, it's very, fairly easy to find this data because they track, you know, population. And by the way, we lost two congressional seats in New York State. So now New York State as a whole has less of a voice in Washington uh, because of that. Um so, um, you know, public safety, without a doubt, is the most talked about. And I think I think one of the reasons that is, is that um, both Republican, Democrat, uh, they, they agree. They, they completely agree on that matter. Uh, it's not it's a it's a bipartisan issue. 
And, uh, you know, they want to have faith in the person that they elect is, is going to best uh, approach that situation. And education, so um, I, I just want to know as a numbers person, as a financial person, I, I, I uh, many years ago back in the, uh, all right, I'm going to have my number wrong here, but maybe the early 80s, we, uh, they voted, the Senate, the Assembly, the governor approved uh, the lottery, right? And the premise of why they approved the, the, the lottery, I think you gentlemen know, why? Why did they approve gambling uh, in that fashion in New York City? Because the money would go to the schools, right? Um, then they came up with the red lights, cameras, and the speed cameras, and they were only to be placed by schools and only on during school hours, all for the safety of the children, right? Now they're on 24-7 all over the place. $240 million uh, they made in 2021. I don't have the numbers for 2022, but $240 million, that money was supposed to go to schools, right? Let's legalize marijuana. Doesn't make you a bad person. Shouldn't be sent to Rikers Island for, for lighting up. Totally against it, by the way. Uh, not for me. Um, but, you know, we, we, we're legalizing marijuana. Why? Oh, the tax money. We'll get the tax money. And I guess where it'll go? Oh, it'll go to, to fix the schools. Why? We are now 14th, I believe, in the nation when we were number one uh, 20 years ago. <coughs> more money does not always fix the problem. More taxation, more supervision and, and policing in a way. Uh, loss of freedoms. Uh, and, and all these matters, uh, where, where is the money going? Right, the, the MTA is, is is got a huge deficit. Uh, we're struggling with with hiring on the police departments, and um, it's a shame. So, uh, and the third thing that that I'm really passionate about. Uh, and I think I, I just don't understand why we're not fixing it because I would do everything in my power, everything, folks, every resource you could possibly imagine, right? I want you to picture this mm -hmm. uh, a 737 with 240 plus passengers on it falling from the sky every three and a half months in New York, not the country, just New York. That's fentanyl. It's not cocaine. It's not, you know, any other drug. It's fentanyl. We've lost more Americans in one year due to fentanyl than we did in 10 years in Vietnam, which almost destroyed this country. Where's the outrage? What are we doing? Isn't that public safety? You know, I don't take too many jabs in my life, but we got public officials in this district like glowing over the money. Oh, we just got $80,000 for Narcan. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that great? Yeah, 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 it is. You know, use whatever resource you can to save these people. But what are we doing to prevent that? 
right? It, it's I'm glad we have Narcan. I'm glad it's out there and accessible. But why are we celebrating that as a victory that we just spent another? And when I say 80,000, I'm talking about one vending machine. That's the contract for a year. Eighty thousand dollars. You know, wonder who got that contract. Yes. Yeah. One day he's got, <laughs> 10, got 10 machines at a minimum, you know. So, you know, public safety, that, that's, a, that's a universally across this district. And I would, I would, you know, go with, uh, you know, across the state and the country. Um, I, I do recognize that, you know, with, with the era of the, uh, the, the cell phone cameras and everything in the store cameras, uh, everything is visible and, and these images are, are graphic, they're horrific. Um, it, it's just uh, what, what's going on across the state and the country is, is unacceptable. And um, the no cash bail. You know, I, I talk about this when I've done interviews with these, you know, for the police department endorsements, right? I, I can't promise you pay raises. I can't promise you these things. Um, do I think the police underpaid? Sure, I do. Uh, they need a comparable salary to, to Nassau, Suffolk County, other departments across the, the country. But I, I'm the candidate who who wants to bring back qualified immunity because people, uh, they don't understand. They, they think that's a police officer going out there doing whatever they want and getting away with it. That's not the case. That That's just protecting me that, hey, it's a dark alley. There's two guys. I'm by myself. Help is about 45 seconds away, but I got to go in there. And if I if I do something in, in the normal line of my duties and it doesn't work out well, I can now lose my house, go to jail, be arrested myself and disgraced. How's that for recruiting? How's that for retention on a police department? Why would you want to be a police officer? I'll fight for qualified immunity, folks, before I fight for, you know, the pay raise. We'll handle that over here on the right side, but dead on center, qualified immunity. You know, you don't even hear that being talked about anymore. And if I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, New York City is the only city, the police department in New York City is the only city that does not have that, that, that protection right now. You know, out of all these other cities we talk about, Philadelphia and San Francisco, they still have that protection that they should have. Qualified immunity has to come back. You know, I'm, I'm not for what happened in Minneapolis, but that one that one police officer who pleaded for his life, who got eight years, said they asked me to set up traffic cones. I was setting up traffic cones. And they gave eight years to given this guy. Yeah. Because he was there and, and didn't do something. Right. A lot of people were there. A lot of things were going on. So, and I, I would always say what my grandmother always tell me, you don't want to go jail. You don't want to get beat up. Stop breaking the law. You know? uh, it's, it's nice to hear everything that you're saying. Because first of all, I totally agree with you that everything ties into public safety. Education ties into public safety. Our neighborhoods, our youth, the sanitation, everything that you say does tie into public safety. Even this migrant crisis, this ties into public safety. I'd like to shift to a moment about this migrant crisis. I think this is the focus right now that's going on in New York City, and eventually it's going to spread throughout the entire state. 
but particularly New York City. It's my belief with these open borders that it's almost like you're crossing the 50-yard line playing football, and you got all these signs saying free food, free shelter. You have an opportunity, potential to get a job in New York City. If you get to New York City, that's the touchdown. So you and I are both veterans, and you had a high rank here. We, we both support veterans. We have homeless veterans out there not receiving the right to shelter, but it's now going to this migrant crisis. And here we are. You're representing District 23, which is a bedroom community. I think it's very reflective and very similar. It mirrors Staten Island, where they're really suffering from this migrant crisis and they're protesting this illegal immigrant activity. Has this come to your district so far? And if it hasn't, what is your position on how to combat it? And, and how would you help the community from getting in this position that they're in right now in Staten Island? So I led one of the events at Floyd Bennett Field. We had close to, I would say about 1,400, conservatively speaking, I hate to inflate things, um, out there. Good crowd, there should have been more. Um, so whether it's Floyd Bennett Field, um, you know, Staten Island, uh, uh, College Point, up, you know, way out of the district, um, Minneapolis or Texas, Okay. This is not, we cannot provide the American dream. Uh, this is not, you know, coming to Floyd Bennett in a tent with 7,000 other people. You lived in a tent. I lived in a tent. You go back crazy, uh, you know, <clears throat> being quarantined in there. Right. And, and, and with this flooding and, and being a national park is a whole other conversation. Uh, but that's not the American dream that we're, we're incentivizing these these folks to come here when we say food, shelter and all that stuff. That's an incentive. Why not? Right. Now's the perfect opportunity. Right. But they made a promise. Right. Governor Hochul. And I, I'm going to name names because it was their words that set policy on in public that. Uh, you know, you, you went after the governor of Texas, who's been having to deal with this. Last time I checked, by the way, they were part of the United States. Um, you, you went after a fellow governor and, and you, you chested up and said, send them to New York. We'll take we'll show you how it's done. Um, we'll give you shelter. And, and then what happens when you hit the point that we did? And trust me, folks, we are, at, you know, that wave is still building. It's not cresting. It's still building. Even if we shut the border today and not and let not one person cross, that wave is still building momentum. And it hasn't crashed. And now we have uh, Americans at the dinner table, families fighting each other on this issue. We have New Yorkers fighting. We have states fighting against other states. They're going back to leadership, right? That is so bad when, when you don't are not supportive of another state or you're not supportive of another district. Like I said, <clears throat> I'm just as concerned about the folks at Staten Island as I am, you know, my neighborhood. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, there's, there's an acronym out there, a, a term out there, NIMBY. Are you familiar with that? Not in, my, not in my backyard, right? Uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to name names, but somebody extremely close to me is always saying, 
why do you care so much? Why do why do you care so much? They're they're they're. It's, it's we hear that all the time too. It's Texas. It's over there or San Francisco. What you want me to care when 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 my neighborhood is in jeopardy? I, I won't do it. I'd rather leave. Right? I don't want to be that person. Right? We we have to look out for each other again. Whether it's one neighborhood after the other, the the, the one north or south of you, or or the state that borders you, or the one that is on our border that the federal government is responsible for. You talk about duties of the federal government. It, it's actually, you know, there's only a couple of real big duties this federal government has. They've taken on a lot more. But one of the most significant ones is, is to secure the border. Right? And 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 they they and I will I will say this because the Democratic Party did choose to run on a platform that it's racist, it's xenophobic, and that we're cruel, right? The, the the Republicans or people who don't who don't support an open border are are those things, and that's irresponsible as an elected official to start name dropping on another individual, especially when it comes to words like a racist or xenophobic, because that builds fear within communities. And as elected, uh, you know, as an elected official. People listen to you because they believe that what you know, that you're one, you're informed and knowledgeable. It must be true. Two, you would never lie to me. Right. And three, you would have the character not to, uh, you know, cheat me out of it. That goes the same for the news agencies. I was brought up as a kid uh, from my neighbor, from my parents, certainly through the army. Read the Wall Street Journal, read the New York Times, read the Washington Post. Read the you know read every source you can get your hands on. Listen to every source, right? When 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 you violate the trust, the most people out there they they think they're getting information. They're getting somebody's opinion, and sometimes their opinion is not you know accurate or well founded, or has some sort of agenda behind it. And uh, shame on you all for doing that. So, uh, you know, I'll take a political a time out for a political plug right here. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with the American people and, and, and you won't have to worry about voting me out. I'll step out if I'm not doing a good job. And by the way, you know, one of the things on my platform that nobody talks about anymore, term limits. Right. You know, this is more of a Republican thing. But, you know, we hear about it all the time on the campaign trail. But once you're elected, man, you never hear it again. You never hear it again. So unless I'm up for a significant pay raise or a significant promotion, I'm going to go back to my my normal life and, and job and family again, you know, after serving my community. Oh, absolutely. I mean, listen, the hypocrisy is there. The hypocrisy is 100 percent there. No place is bigger, in my opinion, than New York. You know, if, if you want, you know, people compare L.A. or Seattle. I'm like, it doesn't it doesn't even it doesn't come close. New York State is is the mecca of it. California, you know, they're, they're all in line. They move Chicago, Illinois. They like literally in line. Um, so you ran a, a very tight race. You, you've actually ran for state assembly before. And sure. you, and it was a, a very tight race. Could you walk us through that? And could you just walk us through you what you believe is the main difference between you and your opponent 
Sure. Uh, I, I'd first like to, to say, uh, you know, certainly disappointed in the results, certainly disappointed um, in uh, the after election experience. Uh, going out there night after night, door after door, uh, talking with folks and, uh, you know, all the energy and, and that you spend out there trying to connect with people uh, is the great American dream, the great process uh, to take part of. Because um, we don't want too, too many people don't want to run for political office here, here you know, um, anywhere. And uh, I, I get that question from my own family members, you know, you, oh, you're, you're a colonel, you've you got a successful business practice, you, you, you've got a great reputation, why the hell would you want to destroy it all by running for office? Uh, it's a big risk. Um, so uh, you, you asked me, I believe, some of the differences. Uh, so let me, let me just say a little bit about the experience. Um, so on election night, we're up by 286 votes. Um, and, and there was an expectation of mail-in ballots and I had done my work and there was no way in hell we were expecting 286 mail-in ballots. Okay. Um, so I, 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 I don't have the dates anymore or, or the exact time frame, but let's just say, uh, the, the next morning I was, uh, a lawsuit was filed against me, naming me as the defendant for voter uh, voter oppression, right? Um, I took that very personal. It was very sobering to get a registered piece of mail to your door and that you're being sued for uh, suppressing the vote, right? Voter suppression. And um, I had to read this 30 page document. So I get a 34 page document the day, you know, a day or two after the election that, that was written that night. So you got early voting, 10 days of early voting. You can, anybody and anybody can mail in a ballot. You don't have to be sick, disabled, uh, out of state. Apparently everybody gets to, to mail in a ballot. So we go to court and uh, they basically, that first lawsuit was to stop from me being uh, declared the victor, right? To give them some space and time to continue on with whatever it is they were going to do to change the result of the election. So lawsuit number two, all the, all the, you know, the judge looked at me, wouldn't you want, wouldn't you want your military um, ballots to come in and be counted? And um, I know exactly how many military ballots were overseas in the, during that election. And I know how many I expected to come back. And, and that was four and none of them came back. So that, that, that's, you know, that was not going to change the result. So the judge, um, you know, just terrible to lose this through the courts. So we, we go a couple of weeks later, court appearance number two. Um, now the circus begins. Now they drag in the board of elections. So unsealed ballots, unsigned or, or things that were on, that were written on a ballot uh, for whatever reason, a uh, multitude of reasons that gave the board of elections to reject that ballot uh, because they couldn't determine when it was sent in or who mailed it, or it wasn't sealed properly. And uh, anybody could have done it basically is what we're saying. Right. So the board of election comes in for their appearance. And I I'll tell you, you know, 
you had a bipartisan report said no good, no good, no good, no good. So um, again, to buy them time, uh, they decide they want another, uh, again, I, I don't know the exact number, Let, let's call it open up another, you know, those 2000 ballots, open them all up. The ones you put off to the side because we didn't know when they came in or they were improperly sealed or not sealed, right? You put a question mark, right? We, we don't know. That's the problem. We don't know how this got here or when it got here. So, um, yeah, bring in a thousand. So they bring a thousand in and they know exactly what districts to go to to bring these the parts of the district, to right? Uh, you're not going to Breezy Point, Rockaway, Bell Harbor, Howard Beach, or Broad Channel. Right? You'll just get more votes for me. So they go to the, they pick their neighborhoods uh, for these ballots, and then uh, let's call it um, I don't know starting to come in on December, early December. Um, the judge said uses the John Lewis Voting Act suppression law that that if uh, somebody showed their intent, it would be up to the judge to say they're good. So, boom. The thousand are good. <coughs> At the end of the thousand, Tom Sullivan's up by 80 something. So the third court appearance, bring back in another 2000 ballots. Tom Sullivan's up by 48, you know, or, or 15. Then on, on the Jewish holidays, Christmas, me, my team, we're knocking on doors to get people to sign more affidavits. Um, it, it was bizarre and, and hurtful to, to be doing this to people. And, and people were like, what are you doing? Get away from my door. The election was a month and a half ago uh, or a month ago, right? Or a month and a half ago. Uh, but I need your signature. Your vote won't count. Get away from me. It's terrible. No, people want to know part in, in, in doing this. And um, so come... Uh, God, it was right after Christmas. No, right before Christmas. No, 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 I'm sorry. It was after Christmas, December 26th, 7th, maybe the 28th. Um, it comes down to, uh, I think, eight votes, right? Then there's, we have to wait for all these affidavits to come back that they mailed out. And uh, in a few days, January 3rd, um, she had 15 votes, uh, up by 15 votes, and they uh, declared a victory. And, you know, again, they delayed this thing to a point where if, if they didn't eventually come up with the 15 votes or the votes, the Senate and Assembly could have voted not to seat me um, because I missed beginning a session. And they 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 voted her in, obviously, with a supermajority in the Assembly and Senate. Um, they voted her back in, no problem. And uh, I was lost. So uh, I'm very concerned. Uh, I lost a lot of respect for, uh, you know, the judge in this case. Um, some other legal, the legal process, right? Um the people did not decide that election, the, the courts did. And uh, that was very discouraging, very disheartening to, to say the least. And, um, you know, as, as a law abiding citizen, 
who served this country and, and, you know, never had an outstanding parking ticket to be treated like that was, uh, was outrageous. And uh, that's how, uh, you know, I had people saying, we're going to get buses. We're going down to those courts. We're going to, we're going to do this and that, you know, uh, I, I, I don't want, I don't want that, you know, uh, the end result of that was a lot of people coming up to me, uh, basically complimenting me on, even though it went down the way I did, uh, that they, they've earned a lot, I've earned a lot of respect. Uh, hopefully it's enough to, to win in 2024. Um, but that's what I would want the American people, the, the, the people in New York city, especially here in the 23rd assembly district to, to know about me that um, although my personal opinion of the law and, and, and respect for the law has fractured significantly, um, you know, the judge spoke and uh, the people lost their, their voice and uh, please take that into consideration and uh, go out and vote in, in 2024. Go, heck, in a few weeks, go out and vote here in 2023. You know, it's, it's unfortunate you're telling the story. It's, it's sad because we see it throughout the entire country. We see local municipalities, their elections. We see elections on the state level. And what we see is exactly what you just said, that unfortunately it's almost out of the people's hands. And we see that it ends up in the court's hands. And the, are the people really elected their actual elected officials? So it's ironic that you said that because I always talk about that. So with that being said, you're in this position here. If you have the opportunity to, today to make laws and policies for, particularly in New York, for voting, what would some of the laws be that you would implement? What type of system would you have for voting so that we can say it's fair and it doesn't go in the court's hands anymore and we can leave it up to the people? Uh, well, well, number one, <clears throat> I, I want to start off with this, right? Uh, just in a generality, but it also applies to your question. Enforce the laws that are in place now. You know, all, all these politicians, they come to their, you know, when they come out of session, they come into the communities and they say, oh, I passed this bill, passed that bill, passed that law. I passed all these wonderful things. You're not even enforcing the ones that are in place. So what, what great justice have you done this community uh, by going to pass more laws you don't have the money for? And you don't in, you don't intend to enforce. You know, how about you enforce? I'll give up my Second Amendment right when the next person that gets caught with an illegal gun gets put away for the rest of his life. You're going to take my right away from the rest of my life? Then fine. Send him away for the rest of his life. But they, they just they, you walk right out and then and then you want me to give up my right. What what sense does, does that make? at all on that particular issue, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, every profession, police department, fire department, uh, the army certainly uh, has a set of values and an ethical code uh, that they go by. And it's, um, it's a sad spot we're in today when, when uh, lying to the American people telling them the half truth, right? Um, some of them are just outright breaking the law 
We don't even talk about ethics and, and morality and, and uh, anymore or character, right? Those things were, were what made, made up somebody's character, right? Integrity. John, you mentioned that word uh, very early on in this session. Integrity, right? Uh, the, the army. We have loyalty, duty, um, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and professionalism, right? I, I put myself on the spot there if I missed one, you know, but I got them all. Um, we, we have them on the hallways. You have them everywhere. And that bothers me, right? Because if they're not in here, you know, then, then, then you're, you're behind that. And that was, that was my grandparents. That was my, my parents, my neighbors, my brothers. Um, and, I, and I bring that up because my, uh, my counterpart did something very, what I consider very unethical, very deceiving. And, and, you know, if you brought this up, you'd be laughed at, right? When, when everybody else just breaking the law outright. Um, and, and she profited from it uh, with votes. And um, I'm going to bring that up, you know, certainly at the proper time uh, to, to educate. Uh, you know, that's, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it today. Uh, but I'm going, going to, and, and I, I'm not a, you know, I've gotten very many comp compliments in my district. I have to have common sense, uh, good hearted Democrats, registered Democrats to vote for me. And, and that's just what kind of a Republican I am. I, I can work with those folks, no problem. And they respect me for that. It's obvious because the numbers didn't support the results. You know, if, the, if, if, if you just voted down the line, um, you know, I would have lost by a lot. I would have lost by a ton. But uh, in order to to do that, I I, I, I try not to alienate anybody uh, for for many reasons, not just to win an election, but because it's it's what leaders do. They they don't go in, and and um, you know that that's my major heartburn with um, with unfortunately with Donald Trump. Right, I think his policies were exceptional. I think he means business. I think he's certainly qualified in, in every way. Um, but, you know, he, he alienated too many folks, right? Um, and I, I can't, I, I can't, you know, take that. We, we need a, we, a leader as many things. And um, that that's just one, one flaw there, character flaw that I would have, uh, you need to you need to be a leader for everybody. Uh, that doesn't always mean that means to, to explain somebody why you're choosing a certain policy. I know you don't totally agree with it, but you know for the for the good of all of us, this is why I chose to to go that route. No, absolutely. I mean, listen, you're representing all the people. You're not if you if you're elected under the Republican ticket, you're not just representing <laughs> Republicans. You're representing everyone in that district. You know, we're we're, we're adults here, but we kind of lost the adult leadership in, in, in all of government and all of our institutions. And, you know, because someone has a different opinion than us doesn't mean that we should, we should uh, neglect them. I, I do, I do think that, you know, I, I think, you know, I think Trump is polarizing, but I think as the time goes on and we get further away from him, we're seeing 
more people unite under that banner. You're seeing more people. Yeah, I, absolutely. But but look at the conditions. Look at the conditions. Why? Because things have gotten so bad. Yeah. And you've just the people that hate him most, right? Not me. I, I I don't hate the guy. I don't hate the individual. I just think this country needs to be a little more united in in both his his actions and his his words, because uh, that's what a leader does, right? And and then they they sell they they. They tell you the hard truth, and but but you still got to vote for me, right? I, I still want you still, right? The word influence, right? I, I learned that you had to memorize it. It's it, it's the art of convincing somebody to do something that they wouldn't normally do, right? I, right? Where you were in the Marines, I was things. You you wouldn't normally want to jump out of a plane. You wouldn't normally want to jump off a cliff with a, a rope and hope that the other person is paying attention, or you wouldn't send me 12,500 miles to a other part of the world where people want to do harm to you. But that that's influence, right? That's what do. I, 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 I would rather lead through influence than lead through by demand, right? My way of the highway. That's not, that's not the case. It's uh and the only way the only way to do that is to uh, make sure you're educating people and telling them the whole story, so that they can make a, a well-informed decision. You know that's why I, I'm a firm believer. We talk about this all the time, and and I think the the biggest focal point that I have, particularly in my career and in life, is the attribute of leadership. Right? I always say there's no bad troops, there's only bad leaders. But what I do know from my experience, especially, right, we were talking about it offline, I was an honor graduate officer candidate school. And what I learned was that leadership, for some, there are some outliers and they're born leaders. But for most, including myself, it was a learned skill over time. And I think that when we talk about Donald Trump in particular, I think right now we need someone like him, especially in the position that we are, his strengths, his attributes. And as far as those leadership, qualities that we need to unite i think if he had if he has a good circle around him to teach him those skills or if he's willing to actually learn those skills i think that it, we could come together I, I do believe that leadership is a learned skill you yourself as a colonel would you agree with that uh you know that, that's a great uh thing you know and it wasn't the military that made me read this book but there's a, a book out there by warren bennis he's a you know long-term business scholar and he has a book out there called Our Our Our, um, our, our Winners Born. Uh, I'm sorry, Our Leaders Born or Bred by Warren Bennis. Okay, great book, easy read. Trust me, I don't read the. Uh, you know, I go for the. Um, uh, there's there's never a definitive answer, right? You have to be able to tap into, right? Like like me, without a doubt. My parents shaped me. My brothers shaped me. I knew what was right. I knew what right always was. It was up to me to choose to do it or not. And um, but there are qualities in there too that that I, I feel right because I'm not the same as all my brothers. Right? Uh, one might choose to punch you in the face. That's not me. Right? Um, there's, there's, there's different ways to get done, but 
uh, you know, a book like this would teach you that in moments you need to be able to, uh, as I use the analogy, punch somebody in the face. So uh, they, the, the military in general didn't like my leadership style. Um, I was too calm. I didn't shave my head. I didn't pound my chest. I didn't walk around with face paint on, you know, I, I, but I was, I was, as they would say, the calm, collected um, person. Uh, but when I was in Iraq or I was on the 96th floor of the World Trade Center when the plane started hitting, um, you need to be that person. You need to be able to tap into that part of leadership that, that you, you never knew was in there, right? They call it a crucible moment, moments that shape you. Um, and, and then that molds your, you know, reinforces your, your inherent, your born leadership characters because you don't know until that moment comes upon you what you were going to do. We, we all kind of hope we would help that person. Uh, we all would hope to be that Marine that would come to the aid of somebody in, in trouble on a subway platform and now he's, he's facing, uh, he was arrested, facing time in jail, and his life is in hands, right? Uh, what are we, uh, what are we breeding people to be, right? Are leaders born or bred? We are breeding generations that are going to know not to interfere, not my business. I might get my ass kicked too. Sorry. I don't know if I can, uh, I'm good. Uh, I don't want the I don't want the FCC coming down on us. Um, yeah. you, you know what I'm saying? I hope I would have been that person, and I would hope that the people his life is are in his hands right now uh, have that understanding that they would. Would you want to be that person? Are you the flight or fight person to come to the aid of somebody else that you don't know? never had an interaction and not much good's going to come out of it, right? You could get hurt yourself. You can get arrested now, right? It's awful. Absolutely awful. Shame on the attorney general uh, for even making this uh, uh, an arrest, you know, yeah. terrible. No, we need you know, more. And we, we have, trust me, folks, you know, you guys know, you know, uh, I'm going to say just as well, if not better than I do. Um, I, I now have nieces and nephews. I think there's, I think there's 11 police officers out of the 28 nieces and nephews now. And I, I, I often have some leadership conversations with them that don't, don't be that person, right? You still have, you still took an oath and, and you, you still, have, you know, assume those risks and what we did to this police department is, is generations of damage by elected officials, by political, self-proclaimed political leaders. Um, you, you are putting the lives of police officers in jeopardy. And you're putting the institution in jeopardy. You want to make it better, get in there and do what you were saying earlier, John, you know, um, discipline your own. Uh, for failing to fulfill your responsibilities. And uh, if, if, it, if it's a matter of integrity and breaking the law, then you know what you have to do. If it's a matter of we got to send you for more training, then that's what we got to do, more training. 
you know, that, that, that's what money should be used for. You know, people, people, you know, one of, again, another one of the things before going before the police departments and, and filling out the 143 pages, uh, I kind of, kind of got real angry at Pat Lynch the last time around. Um, you make me fill out this 143 page thing. Most of it is about salary. Now, one time did I hear about money for training, right? Right. A lot, a lot of time a police officer makes the mistake. Okay. Let's go back and review the law again. Let's go back and review the manual uh, that the police officers have to look. Let's go back, send you back to the range, right? You know, for some, so that you better become familiar with weapon, more secure with your weapon. This way you don't let 40 rounds go down. You know, that's training, right? That's not a crime. That's training. Well, we got a lot in common because we get very angry at Pat Lynch as well, but you know, we, now we have a new Pat. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's, I, I mean, like the, you know, again, the unions have failed in, in representing properly the New York city police officer. They failed not only in their political endorsements, but they're the, the who they're giving money to, you know, it's, it's being perpetrated and there's a great lie going on amongst all of the cops that, Oh, we have to give to these far left anti-police candidates so that they could get bills passed for us when we've got no bills passed other than anti-police legislation that not only affect the safety of officers, but greatly affect public safety in New York City. So that's the great lie I have amongst the police unions, and it needs to stop. And, you know, that's why they're they're in direct opposition. I mean, you heard the former vice president in, in, in our intro, you know, uh, basically upset that we were mad that they snuck a $50,000 donation to Kathy Holchel without giving an endorsement yeah. when by all means, Lee Zeldin was the public safety candidate and yeah. everyone knew it. And there was no, there was no debating that fact. Um, we're going to have to pay the bills. I got to put my, I got to, um, we're going to run an ad for my sponsor and I want to come right back. And uh, we just want to get your closing words. We've been going on about an hour and just like the main difference is why people should vote for you. What, and what, what is the difference, the main difference between you and your candidate? Guys, talking about leadership, we're going to lead right this second. Secure your financial health. Don't expect a police department. Your unions don't rely on anything. Take control of your own financial health. Uh, Laidlaw Blue is a financial institution set up solely, solely to work with MIPD cops. You'd be rem you'd be. Uh, a fool if you didn't take the opportunity to have a free consultation. Law enforcement professionals dedicate their lives to serving and protecting our community, but who's protecting their financial futures? That's where Laidlaw Blue comes in. Our wealth management platform is specifically designed for the law enforcement community. Laidlaw Blue is a division within Laidlaw Wealth Management run by retired New York City detective John McDermott. His status as a retired detective uniquely positions him to establish a deep connection between Laidlaw Blue and the law enforcement community. Our platform is easy to use and provides a range of financial services, including investment management, retirement planning, and insurance solutions. With Laidlaw Blue, you can secure your financial future and provide for your loved ones. Our team of experienced financial advisors understands the unique challenges and opportunities that law enforcement professionals face. We're here to help you navigate 
the complexities of financial planning and achieve your goals. Laidlaw Blue. Secure your financial future today. Book a meeting using the QR code displayed or call us directly on 888-901-BLUE. That's 888-901-BLUE. So, Eric, you're muted. Uh, Thomas, any last words? But before we go, obviously, I want to say it was a pleasure to meet you. It's a pleasure to hear your story. Fellow veteran, especially with such a high rank and, and esteem, I have nothing but the utmost respect for you. I like the stuff that you're saying, common sense policing. You want common sense lifestyle. Bring societal norms. With that being said, if there's any last words, we'd love to hear from you. And again, thank you for your service to family. Thank you for your service to country. Thank you for your service to your city. Your entire, your entire family has lived a life of service. And I love that you're putting your focus on leadership. If you watch some of our podcasts, if you have an opportunity, we say this all the time. Every organization that has thrived has thrived because of leadership. And that's unfortunately where the NYPD is failing. John and I are big supporters. And there's one more thing I wanted to highlight. You said earlier, people say to you, why do you care? Right? For something that's outside your jurisdiction. It's the same thing for us. John and I have been experiencing that right now in retirement. We're fighting for the police department, we're fighting for societal norms. We're fighting for just common sense. And people say all the time, why do you care? And the question is, why don't they care? So, Thomas, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to meet you. And, and of course, I'd love to call you Colonel as well. So, thank you very much. No, the, the feel, uh, feeling is mutual. Uh, much respect to both of you all for your service to the city and the country. Um, one of the things I get criticized about the most is um, is I, I have the ability to walk out of the room and, and, and not tell people how experienced I am or how educated I am. So if I if I if I now do the reverse and uh, on my exit, uh, just just to your listen, listeners, uh, experience does matter. Uh, education does matter. Uh, you know, both coupled together are, are great things to have. Uh, it makes for a qualified candidate. Um, <clears throat> in my profession, I, I hold an MBA. Uh, you know, went to college and then got an MBA in finance. Um, you know, in the military uh, to, to make those ranks, uh, I had to jump several hurdles. And one of those hurdles was being accepted to the United States Army War College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Uh, you want to talk about sacrifice? That was two years of, of brutality, worse than Afghanistan, Iraq, and uh, Kuwait combined. Uh, of studies. We, we learned, ironically, we learned, we don't learn about moving soldiers from here to there. We learn about pandemics. We learn about mass migrations. And it was fascinating to see this all in real life happening right now. You know, we, we talk about these mass, mass migrations. You know, what causes mass migrations? War, famine, uh, you know, tyrannical governments, uh, water shortages, uh, economic uh, opportunity. And until we, we do, the people ask, why do we get involved around the world? Well, well, that's why. Otherwise, we're going to have millions of people coming across the border if we don't help stabilize this, this whole situation. Um, and the rest of the world has to, to take part in this and, and helping keep a stable, stable government. 
And then I mentioned the 30 years military, 30 years in finance, uh, 10 years owning my own restaurant. But like I mentioned, I'm still affiliated now with an 86-year-old family business. Um, I'm involved in my community through the VFW, the American Legion, veterans groups, uh, the Knights of Columbus through my faith-based organization. I believe I'm the most, you know, most, most well-rounded, uh, experienced, educated candidate for your choosing in 2024 for this district. Um, and that's it. I appreciate the opportunity. And, uh, what I, what I appreciate most, um, is your trust and, uh, you'll, you'll have a person who will be able to tell the hard truth to the, uh, to the people in New York, uh, certainly my district, uh, no matter how hard it is, um, you know, I'll give you the truth. And that's character. Oh, we appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, New York's finest retired and unfiltered podcast. You heard it here, folks. Get out there and vote. Let's let's help our friend, the great and powerful retired Colonel Thomas P. Sullivan, District 23, New York State Assembly. Let's write this ship.